Hi, my name is Emily Paxia, and I am proud to work in cannabis because it is my breath to my life. Everybody, and welcome to the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, Carson Humiston, and today we are so excited to have our great friend, Emily Paxia, the founder and managing partner at Poseidon, a leading venture capital firm in the cannabis space. Emily, welcome to our show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me and for the warm introduction, Carson. Of course. Well, Emily, let, let's jump right into it. Give us a story. How did you decide to get into the cannabis industry? What's your background and why cannabis and why Poseidon? Yeah, so I've been in the industry now since 2013, 2014, really actively. I co-founded the business with my brother, Morgan Paxia, and it, it came out of, I would say, two pathways. The first was that we had lost both of our parents to cancer, and so we'd heard a little bit about the palliative care benefits of cannabis. It goes back much further than that, too. I mean, my dad was a person who in today's age would have been thriving as somebody who preferred cannabis over consuming alcohol. I didn't fully understand that because I was little, but I later learned more about it from my mom. And in fact, he actually apparently grew his own until we came along. So the guy was a connoisseur. But so I think it was in our blood. And then I had been doing consulting for a lot of companies, including consumer products companies like PepsiCo and Ralph Lauren and American Express and Viacom. And I had been helping them to discover new ways to either grow and improve their market share, launch new products, or really understand new trends. So I, I tracked such trends, and this is going to date me, as um, buying products online and understanding how to make people feel comfortable with that, and also shifting to over-the-top viewing, which many people may not even know what that means, but it basically means shifting from cable, cutting the cord, and going into these mobile streaming services. We worked on what is now HBO Max back in the day, and, and things like that. So it was a really interesting experience. And then when I moved from New York to California in 2011, I started seeing cannabis dispensaries. Some of the first ones would have been Spark or Apothecarium or the Vapor Lounge. And what struck me is in a world where consumer behavior was shifting from brick and mortar to online, to see people standing in line waiting to get into brick and mortar retail locations was kind of an anomaly. I think you only really see that with things like Supreme or other big attraction brands. And then the other thing to that is that the folks who were standing in line defied what I would consider the pejorative stereotype of what a stoner is. As somebody who's been in this industry for a while, as somebody who understands we stand on the shoulders of giants of the people who built this industry in spite of the illegal nature of it over decades and decades, I'm one of those people who doesn't put stoners in a box and, and kind of call them a name. I think that people who are passionate about cannabis are amazing and we owe a world of debt to them that we're here today. But all of that said, it was folks who looked like me or like you or any old person that you'd go to a corporate office job with standing in line. And I thought, this is insane. I was like, first of all, cannabis is legal. Uh, what is going on in California? Like, I really did not understand it. And so I dug in on it a little bit. And then I called Morgan. And I remember actually where I was, I was wa walking down Ashbury, coming toward the corner of Hate and Ashbury, because that's I live in that neighborhood. And I called him and I was like, I think this may be the opportunity of our generation. And so we dug in from there. So you dug in from there. Tell us more about this. How did you launch the fund? What does Poseidon do? And, and just bring us up to date 
on the success you have had to, to this point? Yeah, so it was Morgan's idea to launch a diversified, actively managed fund strategy. And this is interesting. We haven't talked a lot about this, but our first fund was really kind of a pretty cutting edge strategy. It's interesting because Sequoia is actually embarking on something similar to our first fund strategy now, which is a hybrid hedge and venture structure where it's an evergreen strategy. It had a long lockup. It had exposure on both the public and private sides of the industry and along the capital spectrum. And what I mean when I say that is we could do everything from lending all the way through to direct equity investments. And so Morgan had the great thesis around that, which was we could use my kind of qualitative research skills to understand market size, market potentiality, and then have Morgan kind of lean in on the more traditional finance. And then I went through a process, I studied up, I passed the Series 65 fully, financial professional. And we launched the fund and uh, the thesis was people would want to invest in cannabis because it was a growing and emerging market, but they wouldn't have the bandwidth or the time to focus on it. So having people who are dedicating energy to the sector would be a defining strategy. And so that was the, the way we thought about it. And also the way we think about it is that capital, it's like sunlight to plants. If you shine light on things, they tend to flourish. And I think that in this industry, putting capital into these companies has been one of the changing agents of this whole thing. And when you ask me why I'm proud to work in cannabis, it's like not just that I'm proud to work in cannabis, but I'm proud to see all the people working in cannabis and the things that make me so happy and the things I missed during the absolute shutdown in the pandemic was going to see our companies and watching them grow. Like for example, GTI going from 30 people to where they are today, thousands of people all over the country and and growing from there. And the same thing is true with like Ascend when we go to Western Mass or like Headset or Flow Hub and you've done work with all of these companies. I bet you feel that way too, but I, I find nothing more exciting than, especially when you go to see facilities are located that have been going through economic stress for years where industry has pulled out and you see job creation that hasn't been there for decades and decades. And that to me is what gets me excited and proud to work in cannabis. And, and so we have all different types of people on the show that are working in all different ways. And of course, you're working on the investment side. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to the show that are considering starting a business and you're potentially one of their first calls. How do you determine what companies and founders to invest in? <laughs> Uh, it very much is about the founders. You, the way we approached it and the way we still think about it is we kind of divide the industry up into subsectors. So you have the vertical of full integration, manufacturing, retail, and distribution. You have branded products on that side as well. Those are a bit different depending on their strategy and the way they've set it up if they're asset light and doing like licensing agreements. And then there's all the way through to technology platforms and professional service platforms. And so We've divided it up and allocated percentages based on what we think are the most interesting driving opportunities. And within those subsectors of cannabis, that's how we identified looking for teams. So it's not just that we wanted, for example, a point of sale system. We wanted a point of sale system with a certain team. It's not just that we wanted data analytics. We wanted data with a certain team and so on and so forth. And I think as an investor, those are the things that drive you. And I think you and I can share the common thread that this industry is so very difficult. So if you don't invest into people who are in it for the right motivating reasons and kind of the bigger picture view, they tend not to survive or thrive in this very difficult market. And so you really have to pick founders that have confidence, but enough humility to understand where their gaps are, where they need to seek out additional support 
are, and that they also need to understand that this is not a short term game. This is a full long term game and it's going to take time and we're going to have gone through many cycles before we can all walk away and say we did that. <laughs> and one thing I think is so cool about you is that you're managing being a founder, right? You're you're a founder just as much as the rest of us are founders. So you're managing being a founder and building your business and being an investor and an advisor and a partner to all the companies that you invested. And so how do you balance that thread of like, I'm sure there's days where you're just as much as of a founder as I am, but your founders are calling you up like, what the hell do you think we should do? It's very unique to this space, right? And a lot of the other investors that we work with, their firm has been established for a very long time and they're, they're, they're partners at the firm, but they certainly didn't found the firm. I think that's one amazing, unique thing about you. How do you balance that? I actually think it's an incredible asset to be an entrepreneurial fund manager because it gives us a lot of empathy and understanding for what it's like to be a founder of a business and the way that you allocate your time. And and I think it makes us really thoughtful about how we engage with founders. By the way, Morgan is going to flip out when he hears that you understand us as founders as well as investors because he's like, it's really not easy to launch a fund or a financial firm, let alone a fund or a financial firm in an emerging sector with all of the limitations that we've had along the way with same thing as you guys, like banking challenges, just having service providers who would even, or, or insurance, all of those things. We suffer at the same hand of fate around that that you all do. And so I think it gives us a lot of clarity and understanding around what it means to launch and found cannabis businesses or be a founder in your own right. And I think Morgan and I both have an entrepreneurial spirit. Our father was an entrepreneur, just like your father. I think our dads are big yep. influences on us and, and build businesses from the ground up. And I think about that too sometimes when I'm sitting on a board with someone who stepped into a role at a larger venture fund or at a larger asset management group. But you know what? I'm grateful for the opportunity to have built something from the ground up. And being a female in finance in cannabis is like um, a cross-section where you don't see a lot of women. So I feel grateful too that I have such great allies in the financial aspect that they are very much advocating for my role in this space. But it, it's very hard. And yeah, some days I feel like you're kind of alone as a founder. So I think that also gives us a lot of understanding of founders. It can be lonely business when you're the one who's responsible for literally everything that happens from the beginning of your day to the time when you just stop working because there's no end to it. But the, the thing I've noticed that makes for really good investors is, yeah, I'm out there. I have a personality. Morgan does too. And so does the rest of the team because we have an incredible team. But I think when I see like discourse around what makes people crazy about investors, it's like, we only win when our founders win. Like it's not about us. And so I always think about it like you guys are the artwork and we're the frame that holds the artwork. Like we don't get to be the star. It's the founders, it's the companies and that's what makes a good fund and that's what makes for a good investment firm. And so we do our best work when we're just there supporting behind the scenes of the founders. No, and, and I love that about you guys that you are founders because, well, first off, I think that some people listening like hear the term investors and they just think that investors are these people that are just like sitting in a castle somewhere, not doing any work, like pointing down and, and boss me around. And like, maybe that's the case with some investors out there. But for you guys, you're out there, you're raising a fund, you're making investments, you're managing and working with you and supporting your founders. And so uh, that's one of the things that we love about working with you guys is that like, you really get it as founders. And so I completely agree with you that it's a unique advantage that 
you all have it, and a lot of cannabis investors have, and it's just and it just goes with operating in the cannabis space. Yeah, just to that end too, Patrick came over too, and I call it like the super group, and he was also a founder. So I feel like it's a similar through line because he co-founded Canopy Boulder, which a lot of folks are familiar with because it was really the first and longest running uh, business accelerator in cannabis, right? in your neck of the woods. But I feel like that entrepreneurial spirit is very much something we cherish. It's critical having investors that understand, oh, today the bank account dropped you. I'm going to go find a new bank account because that's just what I have to do versus an investor that's like, I've never had to go find a new bank account or, or done anything like that. Like it's what you're doing is what the founders are doing all day, every day. It's truly problem solving, right? Every day you wake up a new problem, really a new opportunity to go solve. And for founders in your portfolio to have an investor who understands that run through walls, make it happen, shit happens every day mentality, I think is like truly unique. So I, I love that about you guys. When looking forward to the next five years in cannabis, what are you most excited about looking into the future? <laughs> I'm like counting on my fingers. What year is it going to be in five years? How old am I going to be? Um, in my mid-30s in five years. I'll be, I'm not saying how old, but hopefully I'll be able to afford all the things that keep me young. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, what was I going to say? Yeah, I'm very excited about continuing to watch this industry grow. We've had kind of a little period of a little bit of slowing of the growth just because new markets haven't really opened yet. We haven't really seen some of the adjustments on the post-COVID side of things. I'm really excited because I think we're going to see the whole Northeast open up. I just can't even believe it. When I moved out here to California and I was so blown away, 2011, about people having access to consuming cannabis. And now when I go back East and people are getting all ready for New Jersey to open this year and then also for New York to come, hopefully not too far into the distant future, I'm just so incredibly excited for that. I do believe we will see improved criminal justice reform around this. And so I'm excited to see people who were wrongly and egregiously put in prison around cannabis. I'm, I'm hoping to see that be reconciled. And I'm just glad to continue to see industry being brought back to the United States that really can't be pushed offshore that easily because of the tangible nature of it. Just like we have an amazing wine country in Sonoma and Napa Valleys, I, I think we'll have great cannabis regions in the United States. And so you can't offshore it the way you can offshore other things. And so I'm very excited for that. And then the other like longer tail thing I'm really excited for is where industrial hemp continues to play into this space. And when I see how broken the supply chain is globally. I'm excited again that that kind of brings something back to the United States. There's been a lot of loss of textile manufacturing and other manufacturing practices here in the U.S. And I think if we can bring that back, we're having an impact on not just employment, but also on improving the carbon footprint around different things. And Emily, you brought up a good point there just around the pace at which this industry is moving. You and I were in, having dinner in Mexico a couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about if we were sitting here in 2011 and we were talking about 2022, I think we all would have thought every single state is legalized. We're all able to consume cannabis. And you just think about like how long this is actually taking. And to your point earlier about what a long game this is. How do you stay motivated in all the ups and downs that we know about from the canna session to the constantly changing markets to states being delayed and legislation being delayed? What keeps you motivated? Because this is hard. I think people think like, I'm going to join cannabis. This is going to be so easy. I'm going to make all this money instantly. I mean, 
we've been at this for a long time mm-hmm. and there's still just so much work ahead. What keeps getting you out of bed every single day to, to keep doing this? I mean, honestly, I think you started it off perfectly by referencing the dinner we were at together in Mexico. I think it's the people in the industry that keep me going. It's some of the people make me want to run away, <laughs> but then most people who I know <laughs> really make me want to keep pushing. And I, I get very inspired by founders like you who just keep pushing like on phased i know phased because i know you and i know founders very well actually because i i know founders as people not just as digits in my performance <laughs> as money um, signs yes exactly but i think that because it's all about people, that would right? be scary if every year your investors just thought of you as a dollar sign based off of off of that <laughs> yeah exactly so in other words i i think it's the people who really keep me going it's our cohort of colleagues that we've created these like community around us to support support each other. And unfortunately, last year, I think we learned a a hard lesson in how much more we should be checking in with each other. And I think that's really important. So it's the people 110%. And it's like, you know, I have that hashtag cannabis brought me here. And I feel like I've been able to change my entire life because of working in this industry. And that's what keeps me going. Morgan and I talk about it a lot. We need to get better at celebrating the good times, though, because we've had longer bear markets by multiples and we've had bull markets and it's been tough too in the backdrop of one of, one of the longest running bull markets in the history of, of like our market. It's just been an, a remarkable time of expansion, but this is the nature of an emerging market and understanding cycles. And then it was exacerbated by a global pandemic, both on the upside and also now on this little bit of a slowdown and kind of a resetting. But I think those are the things that get me up in the morning. I'm completely with you. And we all have our friends outside of the industry, but the friendships that we've developed from being in this industry and all looking back on like, there's days where Emily and I are in a group chat and someone will just write the cannabis industry is fucking crazy and then have some like ridiculous story. And in the moment it's crazy. But then in five years from now, you look back on this and all the people that are in the industry today are building the industry and it's just getting started. Today, there's 400,000 people employed in the space. Fast forward five years and there's expected to be a million employees. That's 600,000 brand new people that we're going to have the chance to meet and learn from them and they'll learn from us and, and truly build this industry. So I love that. Emily, the final question for you today is that if there's somebody out there listening that's thinking about breaking into the industry, what one piece of advice would you offer them? Maybe something that you wish that you knew when you started or something that you learned. One piece of advice to somebody that's breaking into the industry. Yeah. Well, there's that quote. I, I, I think it's Mark Twain. Or it's uh, If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have done this. And that would be a shame. Because it's like sometimes you're best served a little bit by naivety around what it's like to get into something. And it's just been so hard. And and I'm glad that I didn't know how hard it was because it gave me the courage to do it. But that being said, I think the thing I would say about being in the industry is, look, you've got multi-billion dollar market cap companies in this industry. And yet they are basically still startups. The thing about cannabis is it's like we have product market fit. This market grows and thrives and people want more access to cannabis. There's unlimited potentiality around the growth and the different products and brands that we're going to see launching. And I think that anybody who's desirous of making a change in their life where they want that experience of, of getting in on the ground floor of something, it is still the time. This is still the ground floor. I think it's Ben Kofler and, and 
Anthony at GTI that say, this is day one. We are still here. We're in this eight years now, and it's this is still day one. So I think for anybody who's looking to get into it, it just be aware that it is like a startup because it, it's moving very quickly. You have to be very nimble and very ready to lean in. I do think this is not a nine to five job industry per se yet. You have to really kind of want to be working hard and to love it, to to really enjoy it. But I'm not saying that means you have to be the craziest cannabis connoisseur, but I think you have to have kind of interest in it. And the people who I see who struggle are the ones who are like, yeah, I'm in cannabis, but it's only for the money. I, I never touched the stuff or something like that. And I'm like, you're not going to make it here because you, you kind of hold, <laughs> you're holding it at like arm's length. You're not letting it in. You're not fully embracing. I think yeah. that people need to like go in on whatever it is you do and have a reason like to get you out of bed. You don't have to smoke cannabis every single day, but no. have a piece of it that makes you super excited and, and, and believe. Right. All amazing advice. And for folks looking for more advice from Emily and maybe some advice from me, though, though take it all with a grain of salt. Emily and I will be on a panel together on 420 in Miami at Benzinga. So come see our panel for uh, folks wanting to hear more from Emily and me. So Emily, thank you again so much for being here today. It was so great having you here and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you so much and congratulations on this new project. Very exciting. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.